Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to um, Hope Community Church, those of you who are here and those who are joining us virtually. Uh, we're in the middle of a series. We're thinking of um, the first Christmas guests to Jesus' birth, and we're looking at what they say and who they are, and we're trying to figure out what that helps us to understand about who Jesus is and what his mission is. And this morning, we're going to think of Simeon. Um, let me pray for us before we do so. Father, thank you for the season we find ourselves in. Thank you for sending your son as a declaration of your love and commitment to us. As we think about those who welcomed him into the world, I pray that it would help us to understand kind of what his coming means and what it meant. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, we're focusing on individuals who welcomed Jesus into the world. We'll focus on the shepherds. We looked at them last week. We'll think of Simeon this week, and then we'll think of Anna next week, and then we'll think of the Magi. That's um, what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We don't know much about Simeon, except that he is presented as a righteous man, and as a devout man, probably advanced in age, one Legendary source said that he was 112 years old at the time, but we really don't know. Uh, he is a layman, though, not a priest. He's not a religious official, not a pro but he's a prophet and one who was a very simple person who believed that God called him to um, experience something. He received a revelation concerning what's called the consolation or the comforting of Israel. In the Old Testament, a number of prophets prophesied that Israel would experience a time of judgment and difficulty. And on the far side of that experience of judgment and difficulty would come times of consolation and comfort. And so after the golden years of David and then his son Solomon, it was one disaster after another. They became dominated by the Assyrian kingdom, and then the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. One experience of captivity after another. And what was predicted is that this would happen, but then there would be somebody who would come who would be called the Christ or the Messiah. Christ and Messiah are actually the same words in different language. Christ is Greek and Messiah is Hebrew, and they both stand for the anointed one. So Christ in, Greece, Christ in Greek means the anointed one, and Messiah in Hebrew means the anointed one. Uh, Isaiah talks about this Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, and this is what he says. And it actually, it's really interesting. In Isaiah, Isaiah is kind of like a Bible in miniature. There are 39 books in the Old Testament 
and 27 books in the New Testament, 66 books in all. Isaiah has 66 chapters in all, and 39 of those chapters prophesy judgment, and 27 prophesy salvation. So when we come to the beginning of chapter 40, that's kind of the half of Isaiah that ends up turning from bad news to good news. Here's, listen to what it says. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double from for all her sins. So it's saying after they go through a difficult period, there'll come a time that God will comfort. And the Messiah, this coming one, that Jesus then is this Messiah, this Christ, this anointed one, then Messiah would announce the comforting of Israel. Here's what it says in the latter part of Isaiah chapter 61. In fact, this is something that Jesus is going to say when he goes to talk to a synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. He will quote this to them. It says in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. Two, and here's what it talks about, what God is going to tell this anointed Christ Messiah to say. He anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from prisoners, from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. So this Messiah is going to come and bring good news. He's going to bring good news to Zion. Zion in the Bible is just another word for Jerusalem or Israel as a whole. Simeon received so this promise that God would not let him die before he had seen this Christ Messiah anointed one figure. And so he went through his life waiting for this to occur. And then it does in Luke chapter 2, verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. When the parents, and it's talking about Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. Spirit, the Spirit of God prompts Simeon to go into the temple to dedicate the firstborn because that's what the law required them to do. And when Simeon saw Joseph and Mary and Jesus, he stopped them. When Simeon sees Jesus, he knows that he has seen this one that Isaiah 
talked about 700 years earlier. He has seen the one that God promised that he would see before he died. He has seen God's salvation. When you think of salvation, what do you think of? Salvation. You know, when you think of salvation, you think of being rescued or delivered. And in the Bible, it talks a lot about salvation. And it's interesting that salvation is not really found in a church because Simeon sees God's salvation, but he doesn't see a church. And salvation sometimes is seen as a code of conduct. It's do this and don't do this. But Simeon sees God's salvation, and it's not a code of conduct. You know what salvation is in the Bible? It's a person. Salvation is found in a person. This person called the Christ and the Messiah. And Simeon, when he sees Jesus, he knows this is God's salvation. So salvation then is about connecting with a person and believing that Christ is who he says he was, which is God coming to earth in order to extend the gift of salvation to all mankind. Salvation describes, Simeon, excuse me, describes how this salvation will spread to others. It says this salvation will be a glory to Israel and will be a light for Gentiles. This might be the way to see it. Jesus will be like the sun. And when these first Jewish Christians are exposed to Jesus as he grows and teaches them, you might think of them like moons. And you know the way the sun, the sun shines, and when the moon then reflects what the sun shines, that's kind of how these first Jewish Christians functioned as. Jesus was the kind of the light of who God is. It says in the Bible that we really don't know who God is clearly until Jesus comes. Jesus reveals God's face. So it's kind of like see Jesus' face as the sun. And these first Jewish Christians then, they beheld him and then they reflected this. And what they ended up doing, they ended up going into the Roman Empire so that we Gentiles, who at that point weren't able to know God because these Jews went out having heard from Jesus, they kind of reflected. So we see, we saw Jesus in their reflection. It says in Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So it seems to be what what Simeon has told them, what Isaiah said, is that the Messiah would come, and initially... He would reveal himself to Jews, 
to children of Israel. But these children of Israel then, because this was God's plan all along, that it wouldn't just stay as a Jewish thing, but these children of Israel would go into the Roman Empire and they would reflect to us what it is that God wanted to extend to us through them. And that's what happened. I think, would you agree? This is good news. This is good news. Simeon starts with good news, but he follows it up with some sad news. And the sad news is this. Those who transmit light into darkness will pay a price for doing so. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 35. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Jesus is the one, Simeon says, who will is set for the falling and rising of many in Israel. Falling literally means being crushed. So what's going to happen? Those who initially had heard this message, they're going to come into an experience of being crushed, but then rising again. Um, Jesus, it seems will create eternal welfare for many, but he will also create temporary problems for those to and through whom he reveals himself. It says many Jews will fall and be crushed and will rise up again. And the prediction is this, those individuals who acted as moons, who beheld his glory, reflected it in darkness, they were going to pay a price for doing so. And I think that's what Paul is talking about when this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, when he talks about jars of clay. Paul writes, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. When Paul talks about and I think he's, re- he's talking about first century Jewish Christians, he describes them as jars of clay. In these jars, God placed a precious gift, the gift of the awareness of eternal life and salvation. And this gift was kind of, it's like where the season we're entering into, that you might be wrapping gifts, and what you do, you take a gift and you put it inside the container and wrap it up so that it looks nice that this gift of eternal life was placed within jars of clay. And Paul describes what it meant to be a jar of clay at that time. 
is to be exposed to difficult treatment. Those individuals to and through whom God revealed this gift of eternal life, they paid the price for doing so. And not only them, but Mary herself. We get the idea here that Mary did not have an easy life. It says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. The sword he talks about is not a little sword. It's a saber. And so what he describes is a big, long, two-sided sword that would pierce her. And the image is that Jesus would bring division and that Mary would suffer as a result. Kind of like she would be torn in half in a way. Here's what Jesus said when he talked about how a sword functions in his hand. He says to his disciples, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his own household. You know what I think? I don't think this says that it's God's purpose for all of us to, to turn against our family. I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think he's talking to us specifically. I think who he's talking to, Jesus is talking to first century Jewish Christians because this is exactly what happened. When they embraced Jesus as the Messiah, their family didn't like it. And so families were divided. And not only families were divided, but I want you to think of, imagine what it would have been like to be Mary. Because here's what we know. Jesus' brothers and sisters, his brothers, we know, Jesus' brothers didn't believe him. And they grew up in his house, and they must have seen. We don't know what Jesus was like to grow up with. But what we know is that his brothers didn't believe. Listen to what it says in John 7, verse 1. Jesus went around in Galilee. Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. Judea is in the south. Judea is where Jerusalem was. That's where the real strong religious focus was. In the north, the focus of religion was not as severe and harsh. So Jesus went around in Galilee, purposefully staying away from Judea in the south because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. Here's what they knew. Jesus was staying in the north, and he didn't go to the south because he knew that they were waiting to take his life. Uh, Now listen to what it says. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. I'm not sure what they thought. But Jesus knew that there were people waiting in the, north, in the southern part of Israel to kill him. And what Jesus' brothers said, you should go to the south. Do you get the sense? They didn't think much of him. I wonder what it was like for Mary to have Jesus kind of pull her family apart. He would say things about who he knew himself to be 
but his brothers didn't believe him. Imagine what it was like to grow up in a house like that. That it was kind of split over who you are. And it's not just his brothers. Jesus' friends and neighbors, they didn't believe him either. Listen to what it says. When Jesus, when he was, had been baptized, he goes to visit his hometown. Here's what it says. Coming into his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And it says, they took offense at him. (laughs) Who does this guy think he is? And again, this is not a big city. Nazareth at the time only had about 400 people living there. So Jesus grew up in a small town and was very controversial. His brothers didn't believe him. And those individuals who were his friends and neighbors, they didn't believe him either. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. I want you to think about what it would have been like to be Jesus' mother. So on the one hand, she remembers what Simeon said. She remembers what the shepherds said. She remembers what the angels said. She remembers what Anna said and the Magi said. And she knows that her son is precious. But she also cares for her other children, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and they don't believe Jesus is who he says. She lives in a town where people don't believe it either. And Jesus, the more his name grew, the more I think she probably had, would you agree with me? A very difficult life because her heart was pulled in half. She loved her son, but she loved the rest of her family. And she 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 loved her son, but she also loved her own family, her mother and father. And it must have been very difficult. She will be pulled in half by her love. I think that's what Simeon tells Mary. Um, you know, when, we, on, when you think of Christmas is coming, believe this, it's a couple weeks. And, you know, when you open gifts, you know, some of you, some of us are very careful. And we take the, the tape and we just take the end of the tape. And Do you have any, any careful unwrappers here? How many of you are careless just, just, just put, yeah, that's most. So you know what happens with the wrappings. So you, you get the gift. Remember what happened, then you'll take all the wrappings off. What do you do with the wrappings? You save them? Nah. You know, you always have a, you, know, you just, you know, fire them in the thing. Sometimes you save the bows. In our house, we have to save the bows. Anyways, so, yeah, so then you, you, you take the wrappers off, you throw, you throw the wrappings away, and, and then you enjoy the gift. Um, it's wise to be mindful that the containers that God transmitted the gift of eternal life in, um, it might be helpful not to throw them away in our mind. The containers in which the gift of eternal life came, they were... Jewish men and women who took this message and they at and 
very difficult lives were moved out of Israel into the Roman Empire so that we could, 2,000 years later, hear and talk and think about Jesus Christ, believe in him and become his sons and daughters. So in this season, as we think about the gifts, remember the pain Mary experienced so that we could have the light of salvation shown unto us. Remember the pain her countrymen experienced. As we've said before, and I'm closing, the gift of eternal life is absolutely free. There is nothing you do to earn it. You can't make God give it to you by doing a lot of good things. It is a free gift. The gift of eternal life is absolutely free. But the postage and handling was very costly. Those people who contained and transmitted this gift to us suffered in order to do so. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for the gift of eternal life, and this is your plan. You announced that the children of Abraham would be those to and through whom you would give salvation to the world, and you love us. But those individuals to and through whom you channeled the gift, they experienced difficulties. In doing so, thank you for loving the world so much that you sent your son and the news of him to spread so that we could know about the gift of eternal life 2,000 years later. Thank you that we will be able to, by believing in this salvation, in Jesus, the anointed one, the Christ and the Messiah, by believing in him, we can be part of your forever family. Thank you so much for that. And for the love that caused you to send salvation to us in the first place. In Jesus' name, amen.